Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined, as often always on these podcasts, our Chief United writers, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. How are we doing today, guys? Very well. Roaring like the Lionesses, I think, after after yesterday. The, the, the season's about to start for us. I know it started for your Sheffield Wednesday, George, but uh, it's it doesn't feel like the football's ever stopped this summer, unsurprisingly. Yeah, the, the the start of the football league season on July the thirtieth is um, is a bit of an eye opener. I think it speaks to what a chaotic season this is. This is going to be with the World Cup thrown in and, and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be a, a long roll season, I fear. It's certainly going to be an interesting one and a, a busy one for us, that's for sure. But yeah. pre season for United has now officially reached its conclusion. That came to an end on Sunday with a with a draw against Real Vallecano. We'll talk about that shortly and the latest goings on at Old Trafford ahead of the season opener this coming weekend. But I think it's only fair that we start with the Lionesses and their success on Sunday, which was, it was almost inspired, wasn't it, by Manchester-based players, United's Ella and getting the first goal, City's Chloe Kelly grabbing the winner. But United's players have certainly made the presence felt throughout the tournament. Mary Earps in goal, absolutely superb, uh, arguably the unsung hero of the team. And then Alessia Russo's goals and Ella Toon's contributions off the bench, often a familiar thing throughout the competition. And Samuel, I don't know if you've been able to watch much of it, having been away on the United tour for the majority of this tournament. But from what you've seen, a, a very well-deserved success. Yeah, we, myself and Ty, were in a bit of a, well, a, a news vacuum that was quite insular and that we would wake up one day and wonder, OK, what time are the Anthony Alanga quotes going at or when's Tyrell Marcia's embargo? So uh, the, 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 the main stuff back home that was obviously capturing the imagination uh we were largely oblivious to we, we were aware of uh, obviously the crowd at old trafford for the first game which was exceptional and, and impressive and of course being back in in england in time to watch the, the semi-final and the final albeit yesterday i was at the united game so i didn't get to watch much the final at all i think by the time i'd got back from the mix zone that it was just towards the end of the first half in extra time but they that that team, uh, the, the manager, they they are trailblazers. Uh, you only have to see the the wall to wall coverage of it today to accept and acknowledge what a huge achievement it's been. Um, you know, I've I've got a sister who's four and a half years younger, and she she was my she's my only sibling. So of course, I had her playing football with me quite a lot uh, growing up, and then she went on to play for a football team. So. This is going back 20 years. She she was actually playing football quite regularly, and you always thought, well, there's even back then, there's clearly a, a pathway for girls if they want to go into uh, becoming a footballer at a professional level. It, it seems like it was pretty accessible for girls, but that's not always the case everywhere. But that industry is 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 pretty booming now, uh, which is good for everyone involved in it, whether you're a footballer or a coach. Uh, journalists in that industry as well. Um, there's still quite a long way to go. And I, I really liked the, what, I mean, I think Leah Williamson has been a really impressive captain anyway, remarkable for, for a 25-year-old. But what she was saying about the need to get crowds up in the WSL um, and, and to expand on that coverage, she's she's absolutely right in saying because you know, around international tournaments, we see it with England as well. Uh, interest is always 
high and then within England qualifiers people don't tune in as much somewhat understandably and, and that's going to be the challenge for, for the women's game as well but they are, they, they're very right to milk this moment it's 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 reassuring to see uh, just on uh, watching the news uh, where they're all at Trafalgar Square that I think almost all of the players have got sunglasses on at the moment which tells you that they're all bleary eyed and, and they should be as well they, they have every right to be hung over after their, their heroics yesterday Certainly do, and I've got no shame in saying that I was actually quite emotional when the full-time whistle went on Sunday. I've been glued to this tournament. I was looking forward to it for a long, long time. And Ty, we saw after the last World Cup three years ago when England got to the semi-finals that the interest grew and grew. This is just going to absolutely take off following this success in the women's game, particularly in the WSL, isn't it? You'd certainly hope so, yeah. I mean, it does feel like a, a turning point for the game. I mean, I think the women's game is, is relatively successful here anyway, but it does feel like... a a turning point that it can really kick on now. I think we've had a, a raft of games this weekend confirmed for um, club stadiums again. The, the, there was a game at Old Trafford that I went to earlier this year. Um, I can't remember who they were playing actually, but there was the, the crowd there was really impressive. You could tell it was a lot of people, a lot of families' first visit to Old Trafford, and you know the, the interest is there. I think from this, it, it's just it should just grow and grow. It's a it's an opportunity that can't be missed. Basically, there's there's a lot of talk of legacy after these sort of things, and you look at the Olympics ten years ago, and and the, the talk then was constantly of legacy, 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 and in the end, I don't think there really was a legacy. But this yeah. is an opportunity that is too good to miss for for women's football. I think Gabby Logan's closing speech yesterday was was brilliant when she was urging people to buy WSL tickets, and then closed out with, "They think it's all over. It's only just begun." And you know that that that's got to be the attitude, really. And they're all. They're all such likeable characters. I looking at the post-match interviews and watching the post-match interviews yesterday, and they're, they all just feel so relatable. And they've not had the they've not had the media training in a way that so many male players have. And and obviously there are male players that that can be fun and eloquent in interviews, but it feels like a rarity. Whereas yesterday, every one of those players was just so so relatable, so down to earth, just having fun, fun, completely carefree and. I think young children, male or female, boys or girls, looking at that can can relate to those players and, and be inspired by them. Most definitely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I really couldn't. And I really have, you know, kind of fell in love with this team. And I think everybody's grown to know what they're all about now and everybody knows who they are. And say three or four weeks ago, Alessia Russo, for example, nobody would have known who she was. Mm. Everybody knows who she is. And as I've done a piece on it this morning, you can guarantee that that goal against Sweden last week is going to be replicated in school playgrounds up and down the land come the start of the new term next month. But moving swiftly on and from the Lionesses and back to United and the first team of the men's side of the operation, obviously pre-season came to a conclusion on Sunday, Sammy, with a 1-1 draw against Vallecano, just 24 hours on from that defeat to Atletico Madrid in Norway. You were there. How did you sum up the mood and everything? Obviously a very different sort of team to what we saw on, on Saturday. Indeed, it, it was probably the least fulfilling of the, the six games they played, primarily because it was it was a second eleven that that Ten Hag started. He he did want that extra friendly. That was at his behest, really. That they they got Vallecano over. It was quite quite hastily arranged. I think people could 
could tweak that just from uh, the caliber of opposition that they got over here. Vallecano only finished 12th in La Liga last season. So it's not the most testing of teams. Whereas if you're coming up against Atletico Madrid, as, as we saw on Saturday, that was that was extremely feisty for a friendly. And there was a bit of history there from the Champions League games in, in February and March. But the Vallecano game was essentially an opportunity for some players who had not had enough minutes to, to get more minutes. And in that sense, it was useful for, for Christian Eriksen, who you could see being involved, not maybe not from the start against Brighton, but certainly coming on in that game. Lissandro Martinez, Ten Hag, told us in, um, in in Melbourne that he he sees him as going straight into the team, strengthening the team, not the squad. Again, whether he actually starts against Brighton is, is probably doubtful because Lindelof, I, I believe, has started all five games he's been available for in, in pre-season. So he's he's had that regularity um, and he's got the match rhythm. So it would probably be logical from Ten Hag's perspective to play him. And unfortunately for the majority of of the other players who are involved, they, they're just underwhelmed. Tahith Chong... I think it's been a recurring question in pre-season. Why is he playing? And he was he was dreadful yesterday. Uh, th- there's no way of, of sugarcoating it. It's it's peculiar that he's got as much first-team exposure as he has during pre-season, particularly in uh, on the tour in that he was he was coming on in games. And Alejandro Garnacho must have clocked up something like twenty-one thousand air miles and didn't get a kick in in Thailand and Australia. But Garnacho was. He was excitable on the ball and, and he excited the fans at Old Trafford on, on, on Sunday. It looked like he was making up for lost time. Martinez is strikingly small when you when you see him live, but he did grow into the game. He's he's clearly a very combative defender and he's got good um he's he's got good distribution as well, which is going to be key in terms of the way United want to play. And he got an hour and I thought he was probably the two Argentinians were the most impressive, but I mean, we've not even mentioned Ronaldo yet, and that was because his his performance overall was was relatively moot and, and low key. Again, it was just a case of him getting his fitness up. But for some players, their their, their position and standing in the team has has not improved uh, much at all. Uh, Van der Beek again, bar one pass that he played in for Ronaldo was was a bit of a passenger. It, it was the only time I'd, I've watched United in pre season. And I only saw the first half on Saturday against Atletico where I didn't feel at any point they had any real genuine um, proactive control. And you'd look at Van der Beek and think that he could he could play that role, which obviously Ten Hag wants De Jong to occupy, given that they're Ajax schooled and given that they've both you know, been, been developed by Ten Hag as well. But he just does not seem to have it in him to not just hack it at United, but hack it in the Premier League. I'm not necessarily sure that if interested clubs come in for him towards the end of the window, which wouldn't be a surprise at all the way things are going. I don't think many from the Premier League will be um, will be telephoning United about about Van der Beek. And similarly with James Garner, his, his pre-season has been a bit of a write-off because of the injury. And he was eager to impress yesterday, but he never really he never really got going. And sometimes they can be it can be a thankless task when you're thrown into a bit of a mishmash side and. That that was certainly reflected by a lot of performances yesterday, but it was not a it was not an afternoon without positives. As I said, I thought the two Argentinians played, played well. Ethan Laird had a much better second half than than the first half, but he, he expects to to join Watford on loan. I suppose if if Aaron Wan-Bissaka has got a 
particularly bad injury, um, then then that might scupper it. But there's been no clarification from United as to why Wan-Bissaka missed the weekend friendlies. Certainly, it's going to be going to be an interesting uh, end to the window for a, quite a few United players. But Ty, just as Samuel mentioned there, Ganacho was one of the standout performers on Sunday. Are you surprised by just how few minutes he got in pre-season? Obviously, as Samuel said, went on the tour, didn't get a kick. Considering he was kind of dubbed as the player that was going to be the breakout star of the pre-season tour, are you quite surprised that Ten Hag seemingly reluctantly didn't want to give him much action over pre-season? Yeah, I was, I was certainly surprised that Chong was was starting ahead of him, as as Samuel mentioned. I think Ten Hag's approach in, in pre-season became pretty obvious pretty quickly in terms of he was essentially starting the same team in, in every game and, and has done all the way through to, to Atletico. And it's clear, he, I think he said in the last press conference before the Villa game in Perth that he'd seen his job on tour as to build a team for August the 7th, really, rather than, than develop the squad. And he talked about having generations of players there. And it was clear that some of the youngsters were essentially on the ride for experience. But Garnacho does potentially look like a, a generational talent. Um, I've only seen highlights from yesterday, but he, he looked very lively and very exciting. And he's clearly got more of a United future than someone like Tahith Chong. I mean, I think Chong's, Chong 22 now? 21, 22? I think he might be, yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to see how he's got any real long-term future at United. Turns, yeah, he turns, sorry, turns 23 in December. 23 in December. So, I mean, the ship has surely sailed for, for his United career. I don't think any of his loans have really been particularly successful. So, um, you know, it was a surprise that he was starting ahead of Garnacho. And it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with Garnacho now he's he's almost one of those players that you think it's it's better to keep him in the fold rather than go out on on loan. We've seen City do this with their very best players, um, like like Foden, Cole Palmer. That, that they won't let them go out on loan. They'd rather develop them in house and feel they get more benefit from when, when they're 17, 18, more benefit from training with with the first team than going out on loan to the Championship. And feels maybe like that's the case with Garnacho, especially with Europa League this season. There's potentially six games before the World Cup that he could he could start or at least feature in. Got enlarged substitute benches this year, the option of five subs. It almost feels like you'd be better keeping Garnacho at the club and keeping him as that that kind of bonus substitute on the bench, just ready to to come on if United are turn or three and up in games, give him five or ten minutes here and there and, and develop him that way, because he clearly is a, a very exciting talent. Certainly, no doubt about that. He's certainly, you would think, going to get chance in a Ten Hag this season. You said maybe the Europa League, the Carabao Cup, as the as that kicks off at the start of the season. But obviously, in attack on Sunday, he joined the returning Cristiano Ronaldo, Samuel. Obviously, it's been a saga that's rumbled on over the last few weeks about his future and everything that's gone on about that. Um, and then, obviously, he left the left the ground before the game had even finished, coming up at half time. Do you think it's important not to read too much into that with everything else going on in the background? I would have been surprised if he'd stayed for the remainder of the game. He's, he's he's a law unto himself and to an extent he's he's earned that because of the, the career he's had. And it does feel at times United are treading on eggshells with Ronaldo. It was telling that Ten Hag wasn't asked about him in the only post-match interview he did yesterday with, with MUTV. Uh, the, the Twitter account remarkably went more than a month without tweeting about Ronaldo when it seemed last season they had verbal diarrhoea where whenever Ronaldo was concerned. But I, I suppose, as you say, I think it, it is probably a storm in the tea, in, in a teacup in that 
he wasn't the only player who left early. Uh, there's, there's been a suggestion that 10 players left early to, to beat the traffic. That There were more than 60,000 fans there yesterday, so it's not like it was um, half empty or anything like that. It, it was busy around the stadium, um, even before kickoff, uh, with, with, with two hours to go. It was, it was quite struck, actually, just by how many supporters were milling around outside but then again this is the summer holidays Ronaldo was playing it was bound to his presence was bound to um was always bound to shift a few more tickets for a friendly uh, and obviously he he made that comment on on Friday on that that Instagram account confirming that he was going to participate it's it's a delicate situation but ultimately I just I don't see an exit route for him um the the noise coming out of Atletico Madrid is that that's that's not going to happen the noise really seems to be coming out of his camp, just trying to whip up interest, whether it's George Mendes meeting Todd Burley, the, the new Chelsea owner, or linking him with Bayern Munich or linking him with Atletico Madrid. These are clubs that Mendes has, has dealt with before. And with in the case of Bayern Munich, he'd gone a long, long time without having um, a client there. And then he managed to facilitate Renato Sanchez's move to Bayern, I think, six years ago when it looked like that Sanchez was going to go to United. And sometimes these moves happen just so that he can have, you know, a breakthrough move at a club and it gives him permission, if you like, to try and um, to try and engineer another move there at some point in the future that might be more significant. Another way of uh, speaking to a colleague at the stadium yesterday, um, Ian Whittle, he, he said that it's almost as if, like, Mendes has gone on a fishing expedition with the stories about Ronaldo, the, the first one, the major one, coming out two days before he was due back at Carrington and then he didn't come back to Carrington, in that he's almost trying to put pressure on United to to get going in the transfer market, which has certainly been a bone of contention as far as Ronaldo is concerned. And, and I can believe that to an extent in that, certainly in the last days of Solskjaer last year, the, the same journalist who was writing the stories about Ronaldo um, recently there were portions of it where it was just to it was just to appease him, or it was just to put pressure on United to actually pull the trigger. Finally, uh, that that's the way it works in this industry. Sometimes you you join the dots and you, you you're switched on enough to see what's what's you know what's cooking effectively. Uh, mixing my metaphors there, so it's not the greatest turn of phrase, but I, ultimately I can the way it's going, you can just see him staying, but. There, there does seem to be, as I said, you know, United are treading on eggshells around him. When when Ten Hag um, made the beeline for him during a stoppage yesterday, Ronaldo did not seem too impressed. I think MUTV actually missed the first bit of it or probably deliberately missed the first exchange and the body language uh, between them. But then they did actually home in on the second the second part of it. And you, you can imagine how Ronaldo's thinking at times, but ultimately... And quite rightly so, authority has been restored to the United manager's role. And just from the way they've gone about the transfer market, whether it's signing players from the Eredivisie or continuing this never-ending pursuit of Frankie de Jong, they are, the club are backing the manager and that's the way it should be as well. Definitely. And Ty, just on Ronaldo as well, Samuel's mentioned there that obviously Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid have all been circling around him pretty much though now all distance themselves for a move. Is there realistically anybody out there that could, you know, source a move for him that he wants? Because for me, options are rapidly running out. At the moment, it certainly look like, looks like options have, have run out. Um, the thing is, I, I mentioned this on Friday's podcast, I think Ronaldo will, will go all month keeping his options open. I don't think there'll be any 
interview where he gives a commitment or any leak where he says, I'm happy at United, I'm going to stay at United. Um, I think he will drag it out until 1st of September, hoping that, that someone comes in for him. And I mean, things can change quickly in, in football. At the moment, we can't see a route for him. Um, but if Atletico told Morata, got rid of Griezmann, they need a striker. I know their fans don't want it, but I don't get the impression their president really cares what the fans think at times. Um, and you know, maybe maybe even Sporting Lisbon, something like that. Going back to Sporting, um, you can just see I could you you can just see him dragging this out in the hope that that something comes up. And it's going to be fascinating to see how Ten Hag handles him. It almost feels like some of you know, Ronaldo's comment on Instagram about on Sunday the king plays. You can't imagine that's the kind of um, approach on on social media, the kind of egotism that really fits well into a Ten Hag. Um, team and what Ten Hag wants to see. You can almost see it as Ronaldo almost deliberately trying to push buttons in terms of, you know, just let me let me go. It's easy if you just let me go, let me go on a free. Um, so I, I can see this dragging on all month. At the moment, it's it's very hard to see where he goes, but I think he'll be so desperate to play in the Champions League that he will drag it out and, and keep pushing it. Because in reality, I think if he doesn't get a move to a Champions League club this summer, then I don't think he'll ever play in the Champions League again. Um, given it's it, it's even harder to see next summer when he's going to be 38, how he'll get a Champions League move. So I think it's now or, or bust, basically, for Ronaldo in the Champions League, which is why I think he will just wait all month in, in the desperate hope that someone has a, has a change of heart and comes in for him. It's going to be one to watch, that's for sure. And Samuel, moving on to players that we know still could come into Old Trafford, the never-ending saga of Frankie Dion. Can't believe we're still talking about this now at the start of August. You've done a story this morning about how United are still pushing ahead with trying to get him through the door. With a month to go until the window slams shut, are we still in a situation where it could happen, it might not, or is it just one that you think will still get done? I wouldn't go as far as saying that now. I've, you know, ties already uh, spared me embarrassment there by trying to suggest that Dion was going to get done before before July even started, and, and here we are. And I don't think anything has really changed. But from from when we spoke to people at United three weeks ago on on the preseason tour, and they cited the the wage deferral issue, I don't think anything has fundamentally changed other than De Jong being included in Barcelona's pre-season squad and he's only started one of their sorry he only started one of their their four games in the in the states and he came off at half time against New York Red Bulls at the weekend so it's not been a fulfilling tour for him they've undermined him by playing centre back I think in in one game and this is a club that have obviously just signed two centre backs in Andreas Christensen and Jules Koundé They've signed a midfielder as well in Frank Kessie. And the way the midfield is shaping up at Barcelona, you look at it and it's clear that Busquets is wedded to Barcelona. He's going to be there for the rest of his career, probably. He's still there. Pedri and Gavi are the future. Just these two prodigies that, again, have somehow come off a conveyor belt at La Masia. And, and Kessie is the new you know, the new enforcer there to, to provide balance in that midfield. So De Jong is the odd one out. And it's clear that to everyone for a number of weeks now that Barcelona wants to sell De Jong. I don't, I can't imagine there's a, a you know, a Barcelona fan out there of, of whose sound of mind who actually believes what Juan Laporta is saying when he says that Frankie De Jong is not for sale. It's absolute 
guff. He's it's just face saving. They've been doing their utmost to to get rid of him. Um, I think the only way he stays is, is obviously if he accepts a wage cut because the, the salary cap in La Liga, Barcelona need to meet that if they want these new players. And there are five of them that they've signed. Um, if they want these new players to be playing against Real Vallecano in their in their first game next week, so as as optimistic as Barcelona seem at the moment about their new season and a new order with Laporta being back at the club and Xavi being the coach and how it's potentially a throwback to the good old days when during Laporta's first stint as president between 03 and 2010, I believe it was. Uh, things they they could still look um look pretty embarrassed by the whole thing or sorry be embarrassed by the whole thing because these players who've been playing on tour they can't play for them at the moment they've not been able to register them and look from, from the outset this this deal was fraught with with problems dealing with barcelona was a problem because of their um their their economical situation de Jong, is so wedded, or sorry, was so invested in playing for Barcelona long-term, you always thought, really, would he actually go to Man United, the worst Man United team in decades, who are playing in the Europa League? That was always a red flag. And of course, it's transpired that De Jong doesn't want to play for United either. So if they do somehow manage to extradite him to Manchester and he signs for United, it's, it's going to be difficult to think of a player a new sign at United who will have been under more pressure than De Jong. He'd certainly be the most um, scrutinised player, I think, at the club since Pogba. And Pogba was a world record deal, obviously. But everyone knows that De Jong's preference is to stay at Barcelona, that he'd rather not play for United. But because Ten Hag really wants him, United are emboldened by that. And clearly Ten Hag, has, has, he's spoken to the player, so they must have had some encouragement that De Jong hasn't disclosed publicly. And, and that's been the, 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 the straw United have clutched at, if you like, in that they've maintained that De Jong is going to be, you know, all, all, all smiles and joy about Barcelona while he's contracted to them because he's contracted to them and he's owed something like 17 million euros in wages. So he doesn't want to jeopardise losing that. I get that point, but multiple sources of concern, like privately, he does he does not want to play for Manchester United. He, it's almost as if he'll have to be forced to play for United if that deal does go through. But it's a unique situation where you've got a club that wants to sell a player, you've got a club that wants to buy the player, but the player just doesn't want to go. And as someone said to me, if, if he really did want to go to Man United, he would have gone to Man United by now. He'd have made something happen and nothing is happening and you, you only had to look at that clip of John Murta in, in Oslo at the weekend that a fan recorded where I think it, a Norwegian fan uh, shouts, shouts, but not in a, not in a hostile way, just get Frankie. And he looks at him and just smiles and continues walking down the stairs. And I think, I think he's had enough of it and we've all had enough of it, but it's probably going to rumble on for a few more weeks. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if it does anyway. It's certainly looking that way, isn't it? It's just going to keep on going perhaps right up until the bell. And typically United have got a game on the eve of the deadline, on the night of the deadline. So that could make a fun shift yeah. for us all. But but um, Tyrone, if, if United don't get this done and they don't add anybody else to the midfield options, obviously there's, there's debate about obviously who is going to make up this midfield three. Fred and Fernandes, you would think, are certain starters. And then who joins them too? Is it Scott McTominay or Christian Eriksen considering... Van der Beek's not had the best pre-season. Garner's probably not considered ready for that role yet. In your opinion, obviously, 
two very different kind of players. What what would you like to see as United's preferred three come come the opening day on Sunday? I, I think on Sunday, maybe against Brighton, you could go in with Ericsson, Fred Ericsson and Fernandez. Um, I mean, it still feels ever so slightly risky, um, but Ericsson on, on Saturday, I mean, he only had 20 minutes on Saturday, but he looked really sharp, really creative. Um, and I think there's, the, the, on tour, the, the Ten Hag talked about basically moulding a, a replacement for De Jong if De Jong doesn't sign. And I think it looks increasingly likely that play is going to be Fred. And he also referred to De Jong as the holding midfielder. And I kind of came away from that sit down thinking he might be thinking of playing De Jong, Ericsson and Fernandez in the same midfield here, which I think we would now be Fred, Ericsson and Fernandez. Um, maybe a home game against Brighton, if you're dominant and you're on the front foot, is, is worthwhile and you can get away with. But they've got Liverpool two weeks after that. I think McTominay has got to play in that game. I, I think if they went in with a midfield of Fred, Ericsson and Fernandez against Liverpool, then especially at this stage of their development, I think they'd be they'd be asking for trouble. You might be able to get away with that once you're fully sort of integrated into Ten Hag's style, once you're dominating every week, once you're one of the best two or three teams in the league. But the reality is that man for man or on a team basis, United are still probably nowhere near as good as Liverpool. And if if you went in with that midfield, I think you, you're asking for trouble, especially with the, the concern has to be that United one-on-one defending. I think a midfield like that will will leave you open to, to counter-attacks, will leave you open to runs from midfield. We know he signed Martinez because he's very aggressive. He's good on one-on-ones, but there's not a great deal of pace defensively. I'm not sure Maguire's brilliant at one-on-one defending. So I think there'd be a concern there. I think it's going to be intriguing to see how he does go about that midfield. Um, I mean, if the team sheet lands on Sunday and it's Fred McTominay and Fernandez, I can imagine the, the groans and the social media fury already um that basically we're still we're still in this position with this midfield um i i can see a scenario where maybe ericsson starts but don't know i think i think it's a tight call to be honest and i wouldn't be surprised either way and united had two although they beat brighton at old trafford last season the first half brighton were excellent and, and were comfortably the better yeah. team they're really really well drilled they're, they're, they're very good at playing through the lines. They were really good against United um, at the Amex in May, at playing through the lines, at, at picking out people like Trossard and Gross in, in between sort of midfield and defence and getting around. I think they had, two, you know, they had two or three players either side of McTominay and, and Fred, I think, playing that day, it, it, constantly picking up passes and, and getting the ball and turning and looking at and basically picking the ball up 30 yards, 40 yards from goal, facing United's defence. And... I think they're they're very well drilled at that. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with that midfield. And I still think the midfield is going to be a source of intrigue because it, it's possibly the area where you can see Ten Hag being caught out and the area where he perhaps realises that what worked at Ajax in the Eredivisie, when you basically got, you know, with all due respect, probably four hard games a season, um, is the, the same things might not work at United, where in the Premier League, essentially every game is hard. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the point what kind of makes me think a little bit that he will go with Freddie McTominay potentially from the outset on Sunday is the fact that obviously United in pre-season, one clean sheet in six. It's not the best record to obviously go into the season with. Samuel, do you think that element of risk might force his hand to go with McTominay just to stiffen up the defence a little bit and keep them in shape and offer that little bit more protection? I just think he'll go with him because that's that's been the way in, in pre-season he's been able to have that settled axis of McTominay and Fred I, I don't necessarily agree with that at all McTominay has been 
busy and bullish in pre-season he's he's not exactly impressed i think he's he's tried to impose his aggressiveness on on opponents uh, i remember he got in a tangle in the first game in, in bangkok against liverpool obviously there was a scuffle at the weekend uh with condogbia i believe in in the atletico madrid game after he went up for a challenge with Oblak. black but when i look at mctominay and, and when he's that truculent you know i'm, I'm not you don't want to discourage that at all, but it's 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 part-time hard, hard man stuff, really. It's it's not he, he's not going to unnerve any opponents um, behaving like that. I think he had his, his collar up as well at one point at the weekend, almost as if. And, and when I saw that, I thought, God, someone someone's going to see that on Twitter. They're going to try and make it viral and just ridicule him here, trying to you know, who, who's this guy? I think he is Cantona or something like that. But his his mentality and his approach is is sound. I don't think that's ever been in question with McTominay. And certainly at the start of in the first half of Solskjaer's first full season, he was possibly, along with Rashford, the most important player in that team. He, he had some excellent performances. Tottenham at home springs to mind. City away, he was good. He, he's he's more than shown his worth to United, but he has a ceiling, and. As I've said before, it is remarkable they've made three signings and not one of them is is an out-and-out central midfielder. Everybody knows why that is, as we've just discussed ad nauseum on, on De Jong. But if you're aspiring to be a credible force again, you cannot have a midfield of McTominay and Fred. You can have someone else and Fred. I think Fred has... In, his, the, the merit of having Fred in the team is is obvious to me. I, I'd say, if anything, I think he's actually got got better as the years gone on, despite it being a, an atrocious year for United. He's there's a reason why he starts him for Brazil. There's a reason why United signed him. There's a reason why he transcends different managers as well. Whether it's Mourinho, um, Solskjaer, Rangnick, Ten Hag, that's four very very different managers who have seen merit in starting him. And it was interesting what Chris Armour said last week about how he could have, you know, he wish he had a, um, 11 Freds in the team, which is is maybe overstating it a little bit. But he's a he's a player you want in the team. He's a good professional. Uh, he doesn't want the glory. He wants he wants to tee up others to take the glory. And and you need players like that in your team. The trouble is, McTominay is another player who is happy for others to take the glory. But actually, you need someone from midfield who's going to be taking the glory for themselves and, and is going to be impacting a game. And that's why Ten Hag wants De Jong. He's, he would be potentially a transformative signing because his skill set is so unique. And that's the other issue in, with United's pursuit of him. There is not another attainable player, midfielder out there, who they are convinced could do what De Jong could do. Yuri Tielemans, as an example, is someone... I mean, Paul Hurst wrote the, the story on Tielemans... Uh, probably a month or so ago. He's a player who United admire. He's out of contract next year. He's he's dominated United a number of times with um, with Leicester in that partnership with Ndidi where you've come away and you thought, you know, that United could really do with with one with both of those players, never mind one. But he's an extremely different player, different midfielder to De Jong. And Ten Hag wants someone who's going to control games. And De Jong was only saying in in June how he wants to take the ball off the centre backs in um, in their own third and you know, construct moves from there. Uh, very Cruyff like, and you've had Ajax fans compare him to Cruyff in the past which you know, is, is, is almost blasphemous. But if Ajax fans are saying it, then you think, well, well fair enough. 
but going back to the the midfield, it's it's just not good enough for United, and it's not good enough to get in the top four. And I think people need to people do realise that already. That the club realise they are short in areas, but ultimately. Ten Hag's coaching is going to improve that team. It's going to improve them collectively, and it's already improved in individuals as well. That that's been visible on tour. But objectively, there are still four better coaches in the league, and you would argue that those four squads that finished in the top four last season are all better squads than United's. United's they've got a better. The coaching has improved. The football has improved. The squad has barely improved. I would say, um, even though the players who left on when their their contracts expired, I don't think anybody's missing them at all necessarily. That uh, they need some of them still need replacing because there are holes in that team. And as we saw against Vallecano, Garner and Van der Beek came in, and you, you wouldn't be hanging your hats on on either of those two dictating play from midfield for United this season. More question marks, obviously, rage on about the midfield and De Jong. Another player that's seemingly on United's radar now is Benjamin Sesko, who could come in to strengthen that attacking line, particularly if Cristiano Ronaldo moves on. Samuel, you did a story on this last week. Have you got any latest updates to bring us on United's potential progress with signing him? No. <laughs> <laughs> Honest. I was hoping I was hoping you were going to ask Ty about him. I, there's literally there's literally nothing nothing new uh, from when, when we discuss him on uh, Friday's podcast, it's, yeah, it's pretty quiet on on, on that front. It, it might be another classic case of here's, here's a player that Manchester United are in for and then four weeks later, you're wondering, are they still in for him? Are they are they going to try and sign him? What are they doing about him? So, yeah, there's there's nothing new to report other than I think his agent was, was pictured on a private jet flying somewhere over the weekend. So, that's that's my my Instagram update. But other than that, there is no new update. It's going to be an interesting end to the window. I can feel that already. Um, sticking <laughs> with the transfer front, Ty, I'll ask you one on this. Uh, Ethan Laird looks as though he could be leaving Old Trafford on loan to join Watford. Um, obviously, he had spells at Swansea and Bournemouth last season. Obviously, the Swansea spell worked out really well and he flourished there. And the mid-season switch to Bournemouth didn't quite go according to plan. Yeah. Injuries hampering that. But you, you've got to feel that a full season in a settled team, obviously Watford have not started their season yet. They start it this evening as we record on Monday lunchtime. Do you think that's the sort of move that can really bring the best out of him going to a team that's just gone down from the Premier League? Hopefully, yeah. If he has a, a full season, I think he can really kick on for it. I mean, he's very highly rated at United. He's had some, some real bad luck with injuries when I think he's been on the brink of kind of forcing his way into that squad. There's, there's certainly vacancies at right-back, it feels like, going forward. Even if they sign a right-back this year, it, it's not going to be someone from the elite tier of, of right-backs. Wan-Bissaka's basically a walking transfer um, as soon as United can find a buyer for him. Dallow has, has done really well in pre-season. I think he's been one of the most impressive players in pre-season. He's still young as well and, and can really kick on. Um, but I don't think there's any guarantees that he's got. he's going to be long term at United I think there's question marks over his defending it, it, it'd be interesting how he gets on this season if he can take his pre-season form and, and perform like that all season then maybe come the end of the season we'll be talking about him as United's long term right back but certainly squad places there for, for Ethan Laird he needs a full season of playing of, of staying fit that that switch last year in mid-season didn't really work out he barely featured for Bournemouth I think he started a few games um, even when he was fit he was struggling to get in the team it's not always a 
a bad thing. Um, I always remember, I used to come at Burnley, I always remember Sean Dyche used to say that bad loans can be just as good as good loans for the development of a player. And they, you know, they learn a lot about themselves when they're not in a team and they're trying to force their way into a team. And just because it's not worked for him in six months at Bournemouth doesn't mean he didn't learn anything from it. And I think in interviews, he's spoken quite positively about his time there. So it might be that it's it added to his his character or another element of his his game or something like that. So, um, but what you can't afford, <laughs> what you can't afford is two bad loans. And if he goes to Watford and that's another bad loan, then it's it's probably sort of time up at, at United. So, I think a full a full season in the Championship, if he's if he's playing pretty much every week for Watford, could could do him the world of good. But it does feel like it it needs to be a a successful loan for him. Yeah, certainly going to be a big season for him. And who knows, you might actually at Watford maybe get to play the full season under one manager, but we'll not hold his breath on that one. <laughs> um, time will tell. But we're going to call time on today's podcast there. And thank you very much for listening to today's edition of the Manchester's Red Podcast. Stick with us for all the very latest United news and transfer news ahead of that big season opener on Sunday against Brighton and Hove Albion. We'll be across everything that you need. Um, and if you don't already subscribe to the channel, please do do that and, and leave a like as well. And we'll catch you again very, very soon for the latest episode ahead of the big kickoff.